This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshish Bo 5781, the Parshish. The Pasuk says, Parshish Bo 5781, Get away from me. You are going to die. That's what Paro told Moshe Rabbeinu in Chavtes. Moshe Rabbeinu responds, by your Moshe, Kendi Barta. That's what you say. Whatever you said is correct. I am never going to see your face again. Now, Targum Yonason says that Paro warned Moshe Rabbeinu that if he came to see him again and used harsh words just like he did right then, then he would be angry and hand him over into the hands of those who wished to kill him. One would assume that there were many people who were angry enough that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to kill him at that time, right? But it sounds strange right, that Paro had the ability to kill him and hadn't done so already. This is Maka number 10. It's very strange that up until this point that hadn't happened. Moshe responded that while he was in Midian, HaKadosh Baruch had already told him that those people who wanted to kill him have already been dead, right, so, or poor, whatever it is, or considered with Saras, etc. So that doesn't worry me at all, said Moshe Rabbeinu. Not only that, but you're going to come running to me in the end, says Targumenosan, to pray for you that none of you should die. He said, but you're correct. I will not come to see you again at all. That's how Targum Yonason understands the Pasuk, that Paro was telling him that I'm ready to kill you. And Moshe Rabbeinu responded, not only are you not going to kill me, you're going to come to me, but you're correct, I'm never going to come to you. Then Itziv says Paro had said almost a year earlier that he would kill Moshe Rabbeinu if he ever came near him. But that never happened because Akash Baruch wouldn't allow him to. Everything that Paro tried to do in order to kill him never ended up working out. So that's what ended up happening right over here. Paro knew that and was confused. He thought maybe if he sends messengers, and he thought this time was going to be different because now he sent messengers to bring Moshe Rabbeinu to him, and Moshe responded. Maybe that sounds like his messenger is actually a power, so maybe if he threatened to put Moshe Rabbeinu to their hands, he assumed that that was going to work, but obviously he had no idea what was going on with the slaves at the time. He had no idea that all the people were waiting to leave at this point, and they all believed in Moshe Rabbeinu and everything that he did, so therefore there are no issues whatsoever. That's how the Nitzvah understands. The Ibn Ezra says Paro's warning was if he came to him again, he would be high of Misa for rebelling against the king. This sounds even stranger than Targum Yonason. Was he not high Misa already for what he had done and what he had predicted and everything they had done to Paro up until now? Remember, he went to go see him at the river when he was going to the bathroom at a time that nobody else was supposed to be near him. It could be or it must be, I guess, that until now, Moshe Rabbeinu had shown tremendous honor to Paro and treated him with unbelievable amounts of respect, only warning about what's going to happen and walking away afterward when Paro did not listen and disrespected him. He never said anything bad to Paro. This is the first time that Moshe Rabbeinu went on the offensive telling Paro something, and Paro said he would overlook it as long as you don't see me ever again, as he was clearly not doing all this by himself, but on behalf of God. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. This is the first time that Moshe Rabbeinu was, so to speak, disrespectful to Paro the entire time. The Orachim Kaddish says, that's why Moshe said back, Kain Dibarta. You cannot actually do anything you told Paro, because if you could, you already would have, right? Instead, you're just going to say words expecting to intimidate me, but it's not going to work. Your words mean nothing to me at all, and I'm not worried about you and your threats in any which way. And that's how the Ayelis Hashachar looks at it as well. That's Orachim Kaddish. And that's seemingly that all these ideas are basically the Targumionison as well as the Ibn Ezra as well as that. The Abarbanel says Paro had never said this to Moshe Rabbeinu before. He thought Moshe Rabbeinu was coming in the name of of his God. He wasn't doing it on his own. He never blamed Moshe Rabbeinu for what he was doing. He had respect for the deities of other religions, you know, even though he had never heard of them before, like Hashem. He understood what Akash Baruch was asking for, a holiday in the desert. We couldn't understand why Moshe Rabbeinu was asking for all these kids to join him, or the women, or even the korbanos, all the animals. You want all of your animals to go with? He felt that Moshe Rabbeinu was making this up on his own, and it wasn't handed to him by God. Now that Moshe was saying something on his own that was not from Akash Baruch Hu, he felt confident enough to say to him, 
you're high of Misa. Because even though you might not be high Misa on my part, because I know you're doing this for your God and that's okay, that's acceptable, but you're high Misa for adding on to what your God wanted. There is no way he could have said this. He was wrong, obviously. Akash Baruch had said that he wanted all the animals to go with. The Azayim Torah says his anger was not only that he thought Moshe Rabbeinu was making things up, right, but also that he was not willing to compromise in the list. I'm, I'm willing to let some of you go. I'm not willing to let all of you. You're playing hardball here, Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't understand why that is, right? I'm giving up everything and you're giving up nothing. What kind of negotiation is this, he thought, right? What I have to give into everything and you nothing at all, which is strange. It's a little bit different from the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel says that he agreed that it was to a god. Through this this idea of the Oznan Latora, he didn't agree that it was to a god. He thought Moshe Rabbeinu was just negotiating for the people. It's a little bit different that way, but both of them are admitting in the same way that Moshe Rabbeinu was never high of Misa up until now because he was speaking for God, or at least in a way for the slaves themselves, and Paro understood what he was doing. He respected that. Tom Vidas, Rosh Sternbach says, that Paro was so struck to, so st- sorry, so stuck to believing in his idols and his animals, etc. Though when Moshe Beno told him they were all coming with him, all the animals are coming with him, he got upset. And he said, that's the honor that I believe these animals should have. And this is strange that, that you're letting them go. And he immediately kicked Moshe Rabbeinu out without thinking about the repercussions of such an action. So angry that he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm willing to kill you for doing that to my gods themselves. He compares it to a smoker who knows what doctors say every time when he tries to smoke. And yet he gives excuses and reasons that are so dumb. If he heard himself talk, he would yell at himself for saying such a far such an idea behind it, right? And that's the idea behind it. And nonetheless, he continues smoking and continues doing it. And that's what Paro was doing, not realizing what he was saying. That there's a Leo the Benish Chayas even stronger. Why would Paro say this to him if, it might, if he might need to daven for the Makkah to end early? Like he already did by certain Makos earlier. He asked Moshe to do this by Arba. Why would Paro say such a thing to him? It seems a very, very strange thing to say. Yet, somehow did it. It seems like there was a little bit of a hardening of a heart in which he even said something which didn't make any sense because the Baruch wanted him to do so. Rashi says that Moshe responded to Paro and says, you've spoken well, you've spoken in the right time. Right? He says, it is true, I will never see your face again. And it's Rohamor and the Alshech, Ramosha Alshech say, that Moshe Avinu must have known this is the last time he was going to see Paro. So he told Paro that he was correct. He really would never see him again, but he wasn't ready to leave just yet. He had one more message to tell him. The last Maka, Makas Pachoros, which he was told about all the way back a year earlier when he was sitting in the desert at Har Sinai. That was that. That was the Maka that Akadosh Baruch told him then. That was that. Moshe knew that this would be the time when Paro would find out about it, and therefore he said, you're right, this is it, this is it. I'm going to tell you this last maka, and then I'm out for good. The Devere David asked how Moshe Rabbeinu could have known that he wasn't going to see Paro again, right? Maybe HaKadosh Baruch was going to send him on one more mission. How did he know this? Is, how could he guarantee it? How could it be? So he says, says the Devere David, this is the Taz, Tzadik Moshe B'Yeros Elohim. A Tzadik rules over with Yiras Elohim. He has the ability to be Gozer and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is automatically Mekayim. Everything he says, this Tzadik, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to fulfill. He was Gozer at that moment, albeit out of anger, that anything he would need to say, he would be able to say right then. And the, therefore, the message that Hashem still had for Paro had to be delivered to him right then in the palace to Paro had to be a little remedial, which is exactly what happened in the very next puzzle. Because Moshe Rabbeinu said, this is the last time I'm going to see you, Hashem said, whoa, wait, okay, here's the last message for Paro. 
so that he would know exactly what to do. The Rabbin of Achayah says, Hashem answered, appeared to him at that moment while he was in the palace in order to warn Paro about what was going to happen in the next day. Even though the palace of Paro was filled with Avodah Zarah and all this Tuma, etc., was not considered a very taller place, nonetheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu appeared to him there so Moshe would not look like a liar. Rechaim Paltiel says he was lifted 10 Tvachim in the air so he wouldn't be in the same area as that Tuma. That's how he was allowed to receive a Nevuah in Paro's palace. Moscow Dove says it was a temporary Nevuah and therefore a temporary Nevuah could be given in a Makom Tuma. Either way, he either got it because he had to have it or he was lifted 10 Tvachim high or it was a temporary Nevuah but either way, he got it. However, the Panech Raza says, Ein muktum There's no order when it comes to this idea in the Torah. And this is actually told to him before Moshe told Paro you would never see his face again. Even though we normally don't say Ein muktum in the same parsha. Tosfos and Pesachim Davav says if there's a reason to do so, we do so, and this is a good reason to do so, and therefore it ended up happening over here. Rav Hirsch says the exact same thing. He says it's already known what the Pesukim only tell us later, that the last Mako was going to happen, and they knew that. His opinion is that on the 10th, they were told to take the Korban Pasach and sacrifice them in the afternoon of the 14th. Makas Choshech was from the 11th to the 13th. 11, 12, and 13, it was only three days according to Rav Hirsch. Everybody else says six days. He says it was three days altogether after it ended, right, on the 13th, the Mitzrayim greeted the regular darkness, which was the night of the 14th, normal darkness, as if it was dawn, because it was just different from the Chosha they'd had for the three days previous. That is when the Jews were told to ask their neighbors for money, kalim, etc., to be able to borrow this stuff and to be able to take it out. And Moshe was told was going to happen that day the 13th, on, during the day when the Mitzrayim was still in Choshech, he was told that Makas Bechoros was going to happen on the night of the 15th, and he was told to tell Paro about it that very night, right when Makas Choshech ended for him. The purpose of the Psukim being out of order, says Refersh, is to explain how it looked to the Egyptians, right, and then going into the reaction of Bnei Israel, as well as the Mitzvah that he commanded them at that time, so it seems to fit all together, even though it's technically out of order in the way that we normally consider in order. The Guriyari also asked this question, how did he know that it was the last time for him? And he says it must be the Moshe Rabbeinu knew through Nevuah that if Paro said this to him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu would give him the last Nevuah at the pal- in the palace at that moment so he would not look like a liar. It seems strange that this is a Nevuah from Hashem, but he says it was dependent on what Paro would tell him, and therefore we weren't sure if Makas Bechoros ever could happen. If Paro somehow would have let them go, Makas Bechoros never would have happened. Moscow Devil says one can assume that Moshe Rabbeinu did not say or would not have said anything at all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had not told him. So even though we don't see any psukim telling us this, it makes sense that these are the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Yaznayin Latorah is a brilliant answer, but let's just go over these answers once again. The first answer that we have is that Moshe Rabbeinu somehow told it over to him. He had one more message to tell to him that was given to him right there at that moment. Once he said, I'm done, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, oh, then I better give you this message right now. The other one, the Divrei David, the Taz says, is that Tzadik Moshe Rabbeinu So he got it there on purpose because HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want him to look like a liar. Similar to that first answer, the Rabbeinu Bechaya says it was given to him in a certain way. And then the Panach Raza and Rav Hirsch both say, there's no order the Torah sells. And the Gor Arya says that this Nevuah was given to him beforehand that it would happen at the moment when he needed to know it. The Oznayin Torah gives a fifth answer. He says a brilliant answer. He understood that there was no need to warn the Egyptians about any of these Makos because a non-Jew does not need Hasros in order to be punished. This is why three of the Makos happened earlier, Kinim, Shechin, right, and obviously Choshech, without any warning whatsoever. There was no Hasra, there was no warning, it just happened automatically. 
right? So why would there are Asuras before the other seven of them, right? Three, three, two, two, and two, six, I guess you could say. Why were there warnings with the other six? What happened over there? It must be that it's for Tokacha, so that they would have a chance to be able to do Tshuva. In Arach and Tesain and Aleph, it says, says Aslan Lator, there are three opinions how far someone must go to do Tokacha. One opinion says until they yell at you. Another opinion says until they curse you. And the third is when they actually hit you, right? Yell at you, curse you, or actually hit you. Kicking Moshe Rabbeinu out of the palace, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, out of the palace multiple times is considered nizifa. So that's the yelling. When he said, he was cursing them. I hope that you leave at the time of Ra, which was his god, Ra, which we spoke about a few years earlier. Now, for the first time, Paro threatened to kill them. And he fulfilled all three opinions at this point. He had gotten Hakka, Nizifa, and Klala. And therefore, there was no need for Tolchacha anymore, according to all opinions. And therefore, there was no need to do it. That's how he knew he would never see Paro again. There was no need to tell him about Makas Bechoros. HaKadosh Baruch was kind and told him about Makas Bechoros, but there was no need to be able to say it. Here's the kasha, though. Didn't Paro see Moshe Rabbeinu one more time when he begged him to daven for him and his firstborn son that he wouldn't die in the middle of Makas Bechoros? He came running through the streets, right? How can Moshe Rabbeinu say that he wasn't going to see him again if it wasn't true? So Sforno says, similar to the Targum Yonasan that we set up above, that this is done through messengers, not Paro himself, which is extremely upsetting for those who know this song of Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night. Paro didn't go through in pajamas in the middle of the night. He sent messengers to go, and that's that. So that's very upsetting. But that's how this Sforno says it. The Ramban says Paro did go by himself in the middle of the night, Mistama in his pajamas, but he ran and stood outside their doors and cried out in the darkness they should leave. He never actually saw their faces, and they never actually saw him. And therefore, it could be like this one as well, that he sent messengers to tell him the Davin form. But it seems like that's the easiest answer, that he went himself and never saw their faces because of what Paro said, what Moshe Rabbeinu said. His third answer was that Paro meant they should never come see him again in the palace. But he could go see them, and that's exactly what happened. And that's that. The Chizkuni, the Torah, the Rabbeinu B'chai, and the Panech Raza all say that that is exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu told them. You're correct, just like the Targum Yonason that we said all the way in the beginning. I won't come to see you, and I won't come near your palace ever again. You'll come to see me. And that's based on Shmos Rabbi Yudchas Aleph, right, that it says right over there. There's nine in the Torah. It says there are two ways to understand Re'i's Panim. One is seeing someone, like Re'i Fanechalof Yolalti. I'd never hope to see you again, said Yaakov Inu Diyosef, etc. There's also greeting a king with honor. It says Kiros Elohim, right? Like Yaakov Inu said to Esau, Kiros Elohim, when I see you, it looks like I feel like I'm seeing a face of a Malach or Re'i so, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't saying to Paro that he'd never see him again, literally. That's not what he meant. He never meant to say, I'm never going to see you again. He meant to say, I'm never going to see you in your honor as a king. That I'm never going to have. There's never going to be a Riyas Panim the way that kings get to see you. I won't be in your palace again, but you'll visit me. And that goes with all these Rishonim. That's how the Oznayim Latorah explains all these Rishonim within the context of the Pasuk. Then in Siv is Mechadish. Then Moshe never saw Paro. He's only allowed to walk into the throne the whole time. He never saw Paro's face. Maybe when he saw him by the river, I don't know. But he never saw him in the throne. He allowed his words to be brought to him. Paro was telling him he would no longer be allowed in the throne room. You'll never be allowed in the throne room. But he had never actually seen him before. And that's a massive chiddish. Then he never actually saw Paro itself. The Maral Diskin says, Moshe Rabbeinu approached Paro at the end of Makas Choshech, at the end of the sixth day. Remember, this is similar to Rehersh, but Rehersh says it was three days. He says it was six days, but it was still the night of the 14th. But really, there was a seventh day of darkness, just not as harsh. And that started the night of the 14th. There was light for a bit at the end of the sixth day, and the Egyptians were able to move, unlike the pre- three days previous. But they would not be able to see the entire next day, the 
14th of Nisan was the seventh day of darkness, which was not a full day of darkness, but it was similar. So right then, when it became dark again, but not dark, dark yet, Moshe Rabbeinu told him, you're right, you won't be able to see me ever again. Even in the middle of the night, right, still, the Maka of Choshech still applied, so to speak, and Paro wouldn't be able to see anything whatsoever. He then went up to Paro and he slapped him in the face. The Gemara says, this is Vachim which he says, the Maral Tiskin says, never would have been able to do it if you'd be able to see him at the time. There would have been guards in charge. There would have been people around there. That never would have happened. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the Maral Tiskin means by that because Par- Moshe Rabbeinu clearly had the run of the mill. He was able to do anything in Paro's palace. I have no idea what it means by that, but Maral Tiskin says it, that it must be that there was Hoshech at that time when he told Paro about all this in the night of the 14th. Tzfaris Yonason says a really great chiddush. He says the following, he says, most kings allow people with requests to come to them at first, and if there's anything to follow up on, then messengers are sent to the king and they don't go themselves. However, each maka affected Paro, and he needed to be warned directly. So Moshe Aaron went directly to him each time, and a messenger just wasn't good enough. Paro was a machashif, and he knew through his magics, magics that he wasn't going to die during Makas Bechoros. So Moshe didn't need to tell him about this maka. Technically, Makas Bechoros would happen for the Egyptians, and not for Paro. There was no need to say it. They had to tell the Egyptians. He didn't have to tell him. That's why he told Moshe Rabbeinu that he would not see his face again. There would be no need to see his face again because he knew there was going to be a Maka. I, this gets into the whole Machlokas of did they know about Makas Bechoros before and they still were said it doesn't make a difference whatsoever or whatever it is, right? He knew that there was going to happen and if he did, it would be to warn him about this last Maka which wasn't going to affect him in the first place. So there's no reason to bring it up again. So Moshe Rabbeinu should be killed for doing something that's wrong, for telling me about Makas Bechoros when I don't need to hear it. Moshe Rabbeinu told him he was correct. He would not come back again. Paro would not die from this Maka. The warning from Makas Bechoros was given over to Paro's palace and to the Egyptians, and it wasn't given to Paro, and that's why it was written after Paro, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I will never see your face again. He was correct. He never saw Paro's face again, and he never warned him about Makas Bechoros. He warned the people about Makas Bechoros after he left Paro's palace. That's a big chiddish from this verse from Rabbi Yonis and Eichwitz. The Balatorin points out that the words Al-Tosef appear twice in Tanakh, here and in Parshish Vaschanan, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe, don't speak to me again about entering Eretz Yisrael. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu did everything perfectly right here, right? Seems like he did perfectly correct here. At the end, he spoke to Paro with a bit of disrespect. A king deserves honor, even a king like Paro. And saying those words, you're right, I'm not going to see your face ever again. There was no need to say it. Moshe Rabbeinu should have turned around and walked out. Or... He should have cried and begged him to reconsider for the sake of his children and for his nation and the children that were going to die. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu should have done. But to say the words harshly, that Moshe Rabbeinu should not have done. And because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu was punished 40 years later by a Kaddish Baruch Hu telling him, the parish on the Balaturim says, we learn from this, don't allow the curse of even a small little person small in your eyes because you shouldn't see my face again. That wording aparo caused Moshe Avinu not to go to Eretz Yisrael. Very, very strange Balaturim, but that's an unbelievable idea. The Maral Diskin says Moshe Avinu had an opportunity here to make a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. He should have said to Paro, what do you mean? I won't see your face again. If Hashem wants me to see your face again, I'll see your face again. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you want. It has to do with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. He should have said that immediately. I'm not afraid. Your threats mean nothing to me because that Kaddish Baruch Hu is in charge. Since he didn't say that and he didn't tell that to Paro, 
Therefore, he was punished. The chasam silvers is something amazing in his drushas. In Megillah Chavchas, the Gemara says that a tzaddik should never look at the face of a rasha because the tuma of a rasha will attach itself to the tzaddik and connect with them. Great tzaddikim who have a tremendous light to their neshama, are able to pull out Kedusha from those Rishayim and use it for themselves. We see this in the natural world. When you place a lit candle near a large fire, the large fire tries to grab that little candle and bring it part of itself. The flame of the candle almost seems to push itself toward the flames, seems to go toward the flame itself. It's almost like a natural occurrence by the, by the neshama as well. That's what the Gemara refers to when it says, Gal Shalatzamos, which we see by Reb Shimon Bayechai and Shabbos Lamedalid, Reb Yochanan and Baba by Reb Shilo and Reb Sheshis and Brachos Nunches. This is what we did in Mitzrayim, hinted to by the Pasuk, by Yenatzlu, it's Mitzrayim, says the Chassam Sofer. They saved all of that Kedusha out of Mitzrayim. They grabbed it, they took it out, they made Mitzrayim as if there was nothing left. And that's what it means by the Gal Shal, it's almost making somebody into a pile of bones as if there's no Kedusha left. Because of that, we're given a mitzvah. Lo Sivan Lirosa Ad Olam. You're not allowed Lirosa Ad Olam. You're not allowed to see Mitzrayim for the rest of your lives because there's nothing there. The Kedusha that was there, we already took out. Paro had no more Kedusha, or I'm sorry, Paro had more Kedusha than any of the people in Mitzrayim. As you know, Lev Melachim Biyad Hashem, that the heart of the kings is in the hand of HaKadosh Baruch and that's why Moshe was told again and again to go see Paro, pull out all that Kedusha that he could. Now, Paro was an empty vessel, completely gone by this time. There was no reason for Moshe Rabbeinu to see him ever again, because the only reason why Moshe Rabbeinu was going to see him in order to take out that Kedusha no longer needed to. Doesn't need to do it anymore. There's no purpose. It says, this may seem strange, says the Chassam Sofer, to those who do not understand the Kedusha of truth Tzadikim. But to him, the Chassam Sofer is saying, for me, that's something amazing. And may even explain why Yitzchak's blindness removed his ability to see who Yaakov and Esav were and how he could be fooled by such a rudimentary trick. The Chassam Sofer says, Parwa, the ultimate tumah of Beis Pa'or, which is known as Oreth. Oref is that. While Moshe Rabbeinu had, it was the exact opposite. He was the Kedusha of Panim El Panim. He was the back of the neck and the other one. Paro was the other way. He was able to take away all the sparks of Kedusha that Paro had within him. Especially, especially, certainly, he had that Kedusha. There had to be something because Paro, Paro is still mentioned in Tanakh. Anybody who's mentioned in Tanakh has to have some form of Kedusha, some greatness in a way. To the point where it would be forbidden for Moshe Rabbeinu to look at his face any longer. And that's why I said, Od Raos Panecha is the Rosh Tevis of Oreth. Because Paro knew, you're never going to be able to see me ever again. Now Moshe Rabbeinu was actually buried by Baal Paor. Paor, Oreth, with Paro, get it? But by Baal Paor, in order to knock down that tumor, not allow it, not allow it to be Makatrig on Klau Yisrael, that's written in Sota Yudalit. Therefore, he rep- responded to Paro, you're 100% correct. On the day that I die... I'm going to see her face again. When I'm buried opposite Balpaor, I will see the Oref of Paro. But until that point, I'll never see Paro ever again. What an unbelievable Chassam Sofer. Can you imagine the Chassam Sofer? Tzfarish Shalom, the Radomsker says that Yaakovinu and Yosef had already started this process, knowing how powerful Paro was. And that's why they took as much Kedusha from him as they could. Obviously, different Paros, different palaces. But regardless, that's what they did. His was the strongest and the hardest to take away. And that's why it took those two great men, as well as Moshe and Aaron, that were permitted to look at him. They normally can't look at Russia because of this. The the rest of Claudius were commanded to go to the rest of the Egyptians and take what they could. This is the riches that they took from them. After that, there was nothing left at all. And that's what the Jews were taking the riches for. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu went to Paro. Rabbi Yudasad says the sense of sight is the pole demyoni to cause the tomb of a Russia to be dovuk to yourself. That's how Rabbi Yudasad says it happens. You don't need to look. So when you do, this is the result. The tuma attaches itself to you. Tzadikam, on the other hand, have the ability to take away that Kedusha and not allow the tuma to connect to them whatsoever. When they do that properly, the Russia is left without any Kedusha at all and the Russia falls dead to the ground. As we said, Gal Shalatzamos before from the Egyptians. So that's what happened over here. 
And that's how B'nai Israel were able to get to the 50th level of Kedusha so quickly. They pulled out the Kedusha from the Egyptians, the wealth, the riches they borrowed from the Egyptians. And thus, Vayar Yisrael Mitzrayim Meis Alsfasiyam. They were dead because there was no more Kedusha left. All they had to do was look at the Egyptians, and immediately they died. Paro knew this as well, which is why he said when he looked at Moshe Rabbeinu, he said euphemistically, if you look at me again, he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you'll kill me and cause me to die. He didn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to die. He meant that I'm going to die if you look at me again. Don't look at me again. And he said, Tamus, that's what he meant. It was a euphemism. Then he's trying to Derzal says, every person is a chius chitzoni and a chius penimi. A chius on the outside and a chius on the inside. If one pulls out all the Kedusha from another person, even the Kedusha Panimi, then the person will die because he has absolutely no Kedusha left in him. Paro knew what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. He felt himself losing his Kedusha little by little, getting weaker and weaker. So he told Moshe Rabbeinu, get away from me. Stop doing this to me. Take the Stop taking the Kedusha and take that Kedusha of the Chitzoni away from me. But don't take away the Kedusha Panimi. Al Tosefraos Panai. Don't look at the Panimius. Don't take away the Panimius from me. Because if you do, Biomer Oscha Panai, if you do that, Tamus, then I will die. Again, a euphemism. I will die if you do that from me. Moshe Benu was masking and told him, You'll live. I'm only going to take the Chiyos Chitoni. I'm not going to take the Chiyos Panimi. And that's why Paro did have something left, but only enough to be able to keep him alive till the end of his life. Perhaps that's the reason why he came up in the Yonah story. There was a little bit of Kedusha left that Paro had, and he was able to do tshuva at the end of, a life, of his life because of that. The Emei Noam says it's dangerous to keep looking at a Russia once you have taken away from all the Kedusha that you can. That's why Yaakov you know, told Rachel when he wanted to leave Lavan's house, I stayed here until now because I was able to pull out all the Kedusha that I could, the 600,000 sheep. But now, I've seen the face of your father. It no longer belongs to me, says Emei Noam. I can't take any Kedusha out. If I take anything else out, it'll be Tuma. And that will affect me. And Paro was really saying the same thing to Moshe Rabbeinu, the opposite of Rabbeinu Asad. I know you took away all of my Kedusha. There's nothing left for me that's Shaykh to you. If you continue to see my face, then Tamus, he told Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to lose. You're going to become a Russia. You're going to take, take my Tuma, and I'm going to be able to grab some of your Kedusha back. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu said, you're right. I'm not going to be able to see your face again. If I do, I'm going to lose out. Ferris Shlomo, the Radomsker, says the exact same thing as Imre Noam. And Munizi Tech on page 223 says from the Arizal that our job in Gullus is to collect those lost sparks of lost sparks of Kedusha from wherever we can find them throughout the world. After other Marishon sin, they were lost completely and the quicker we're able to gather them back causes the Geula and the final two can happen faster. How can you tell if what you did you were supposed to do? Every day your chakras is based on is based on how well you were Mavara those sparks the day before. Egypt had already been emptied of all that Kedusha, which is why there was no need for us to go back there ever again. Even though we see a functioning country there, people living their lives and doing what they're doing, that's just like the tail of a lizard after it cuts off. It moves around a bit, but it's not alive. That's why the says the angel of Egypt was made into the angel of death, it's Duma, because it had nothing left to do. It was now the Malach of a nation of dead people that act like they're alive. This already happened to them before Kriyas Yamsev, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu told them, don't worry about the Egyptians. They're already dead. Their Malach has already been reassigned as if you might see them walking and talking and even fighting, but they have no shaykhist to anything. Halakhically, the party says it brings a mug in Avramu, Paskins, and Reish Chof Hei, Sif Chof, that his staklos is forbidden. But looking is perfectly fine. It's a stockless that's a problem of looking at a Russia itself. You can't stare, but you can look. The Sman Choshim Mishba Kubna Dali seems to say that Re'i is a problem. Stockless is motor, but it could be they're agreeing about the concept. They're arguing about which word means what. Either way, not good to look at the face of Russia. And Moshe Rabbeinu understood that. He knew there was nothing he was going to get from Paro ever again. Have a good Shabbos, everyone.